I have seen gods fly. I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hola. Let's go, go, go. This is episode 111 of G.I. Joeberg. My name is Steve. Who's with me? Uh, Paul's up in here. Do we have a Curtis? Uh, you got Cujo on the West Coast. Just got through a rare Southern California downpour. Steam is rising off my body. <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> All I can see is Chris Evans in uh, Fantastic Four. Mm, you're welcome. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's going to get that reference. Uh, those movies are largely forgettable these days. Anyways, gents, we're going to talk about movies. We're going to talk about Black Panther. Yay! Who Yay! wants to talk about Black Panther? Uh, we're also going to talk about the Joe Fund Me. We're going to talk about the Atlantis Factor. Hey, guys, it's an exciting time to be in G.I. Joburg. Let me tell you. Today, <laughs> I reserved three tickets to the United States. I haven't paid for them yet, but they are mine at a very, very discounted price. Emirates was having a sale. So, uh, you're going to see the inside of Dubai International Airport, Paul. How do you feel about that? That's fine. <laughs> uh, hopefully the layover's not too long. <laughs> no, no, the layovers are amazing, like three hours max, and that's that's the perfect amount of time to arrive, disembark, recheck in, and just like... Gather yourself before the next leg. Yeah, no. Three hours. Any less than that, and you're stressing. Any more than that, and you're wasting time. Yeah, incidentally, is it a cool airport? Or uh, are you just going to wait for me to uh, land and we get checked in and stuff? <laughs> is it a cool airport? It is probably one of the most busy airports in the world because Emirates is now... I think it's the, the premier airline in the world. I mean... Yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 a very good airline, um, but as far as airports go, there is no finer airport than Changi International in Singapore. Uh, oh, if right. you ask my humble opinion, you know, <laughs> airport airport connoisseur up in here. I'm gonna tag the the airlines or the airport now in the uh, show tweet. Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dubai International. Uh, you know what the big problem with Dubai is? you got to take a bus from Terminal A to Terminal B, and that always grinds my gears. You're still within an international airport, but there's still a bus mm. transit. Uh, the cool thing about Changi International, if you are keeping score, the entire terminal is fully accessible just by walking. It's vast, uh-huh. so from walking one into the other it's going to take you time and you can cut that time out by taking a tram uh there is a, like a sky train that will will get you from the one end to the other more efficiently than walking back through the entire terminal but oh, so they have rides. yeah yeah you've got a ride to be a shortcut from the one end to the other or you can just walk it and there are three toy shops <laughs> Three toy shops, and they're all equally good. Uh, yeah, no, good times, good times. And you can buy oh, that's cool. both, uh, you know, American and Japanese toys side by side. Oh no, uh, God that's, bless Singapore. I mean, that's good and bad. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you can have your regular release Star Wars stuff alongside the, uh, I don't know, the, the cool, yeah, whatever the cool Apex Japanese is. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's there, man. So there's that. Yeah, exciting times, G.I. Joburg. I mean, we are hovering just past the, 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 the 50% mark, the halfway mark on our JoFundMe. But I'm confident enough to start to start making movements on on serious arrangements. I am once again eternally grateful for the support that's been shown so far. You guys are amazing. You're written into the the Hall of Fame of GI Joburg history. Uh, and now I suppose we shift shift to finding new sources of revenue to to see us uh, through to the the other fifty percent. If we reach our goal, we will be very comfortable. Uh, be able to afford this trip without 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 hurting our own pockets too much. That is the single greatest victory that this little labor of love called G.I. Joburg has ever scored. I mean, if we can crowdfund such an indulgence, <laughs> it'll make all the hours of video and uh, and audio editing all worthwhile. Nah. I do this and, stuff. And, you know, especially for, for those of us who, who don't really have, you know, deep pockets, <laughs> it's helping a lot. Well, it's, it's a, an impossible dream that's been, been, been realized, I think, for us all. It doesn't feel like too much of an indulgence on my side. I mean, this, these conversations definitely speak to, I would say, quite a large group of people. And this GoFundMe experiment has opened my eyes to uh, exactly how how much people want these conversations in their heads. Uh, I I never had the ego to believe it up until now. Um, I always just thought, oh, it's a fireside chat with my buddies, and if anyone wants to to listen in and and maybe join the conversation by commenting through the you know the social media uh, networks. Yeah. Then, 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 cool. We've 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 reached out and 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 people have reached back. But to know that people want to see our success or feel like they want to contribute to a an exciting venture like this materially, you know, with their pockets, that's that's huge. I well, yeah. I think anybody in and around GI Joe, I mean, we all just want to meet Hama so we can thank him. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of like. Like, I, I, I drop buzzwords sometimes, like some I make up, but, like, the term heat shield, what is it? In an age of social media, it's the ability to have the conversation. And, like, Hama created characters with the rebel flag belt buckle or hat, I forget. And that's a character that should exist so you can have a conversation, you know? So... Mm -hmm. I mean, no, I, I, I'm into it. Yeah. I yeah. dare not actually imagine a face-to-face -face meeting with Larry Harmer. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to hype it that much, and and you know maybe he no, I doesn't that, show yeah. up or something like. But uh, you just set me on a bit of a flight of fancy right now, Cujo. Like, what would I actually do in that moment? Can someone please just hold the camera? <laughs> will I will I take him a dusty, tatty copy of the very first G.I. Joe issue I ever read? It's not in the, 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 the single digits. It's not even in the teens. It's in the hundreds. 
the very first G.I. Joe issue I ever read was issue 130, which is significant for absolutely nothing uh, in most G.I. Joe fans' um, recollection. It's got lime green firefly and it's woohoo. I know you're Stop excited that. about that. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were doing so well. No, I think you brought up a, a good point, and then that is Larry Hama is not a young man. So, I mean, there's a good chance that we won't cross paths. But if that opportunity happens, and dude, I, I don't think I've been starstruck like maybe twice. And if I see Hama, it might be a third, you know? But anyway. You want to get you want to get the, through some uh, new shit. Well, uh, I don't have much new shit uh, to discuss other than uh, GI Joe Berg posted another YouTube vid this week. Uh, it's it's received some some heartfelt praise, and I feel like uh, my soul is nourished. It's like all I did was shoot some sequences of me and Rob playing with our toys, and <laughs> it's. Uh, it's met with quite a bit of enthusiasm. I think it's the kind of content uh, that that GI Joburg. It's we found our niche. Uh, Rod's like, stiff reviews, talking about you know the, the 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 uneasy margins between a plaything and real world fact. Uh, that was our, our niche previously, but I think that's very handsomely catered to by guys like FormBX257 and HCC788. Uh, Joe Fan A2, you know, there are a great number of excellent reviewers and very comprehensive reviewers out there. I don't want to overlap or be made redundant by them. So this is what we do, and this is this is our thing, I guess, moving forward. Have you huh. caught HCC's yeah. latest mainframe? Of course. Loved it. Mainframe Dude, was one of my early Joes as well. That guy's evolving. He's starting to drop, like, government file card. I'm loving it. <laughs> For those of you that are paying extra attention, Steve being extremely or exceptionally modest <laughs> because, and it's worth mentioning, those videos, there's a lot, I mean, and it's very, and it's core essence, it is either Rob and Steve or Rob, Steve and myself or Steve and myself running outside and playing with our toys, but, you know, there is at least a, a little bit of thought that goes into it beforehand, but uh, ultimately, you know, I okay. like Steve. <laughs> when you when you drop a doors reference, you're aces, man. Let's get started. Yeah. And, there, was and, a, there was a second uh, one, but I cut it. <laughs> break on through to the other side. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Paul. I know that was your uh, your addition to the script, but it just <laughs> one of many. <laughs> I I don't know. I I guess I kind of. Uh, the, the, the honest fact is I lost confidence in my Flint impersonation. I really could not, uh, have the, the base for the fabulous rendition that Flint has in the Sunbow cartoon. Uh, oh, so, so I was like, ah, I can't really do this line justice. So I'm just glad other lines made it through and, uh, they hit. So thanks oh. buddy. Stay tuned for part three of the Atlantis Factor, guys. It's uh, it's gonna be an on ongoing thing. Uh, I hope. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, well, we, me, we're uh, out doing it as we go. So yeah, I suppose that's about the most honest way of approaching it. <laughs> oh bullshit! We've got scripts for 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 five parts. We can yeah. cut them all together in one one big thirty-minute episode. Oh. Allah, featuring. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe we should do that. That would be very cool. 
maybe maybe we can release a a DVD. Do people buy those still? <laughs> <laughs> well, you better do some grading then, my sir. Oh fuck. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, nobody's picked up any new toys. I know I haven't because I'm on a toy embargo. I have. Uh, I am not spending any money. Not that I have any, but. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not buying any toys or going out of my way to buy anything. I'm trying to save up every little penny I can for JoeCon and other responsibilities. So that leaves, uh, I, I think Steve's in the same boat. Uh, Cujo, you pick up any new toys, anything cool? Toys, not so much, but I do have a tight package real quick. Um, <laughs> just wanted to... T- <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. I almost squirted water out of my nose. <laughs> nice. Now, just a little bit of Joe Twitter community. Everybody knows Plastic Battles, but there is another action figure junkie out of Southern California right up the uh, coast from me. He's doing some damn fine pictures, and they're kind of Michael Bay. Like, he's got fireworks going off around figures and stuff. Uh, A personal favorite is Scrap Iron doing his thing. Uh, Digging that. Uh, Just wanted to put a spotlight on you. Let's see. Uh, We got a couple G.I. Joe podcasts other than our own going off. Tricky Kid Radio, first I've heard of him, but he had a pretty deep chat with Larry Hama. I think caught him at a convention. There's some deep stuff there, some stuff I didn't know about Hama in the first 15 minutes. So definitely run that down if you're looking. Full Force dropped a podcast. They don't do it very often, do they? No. And they happen to, in the description, put the word Chattanooga. Those guys are in the UK. If they come to Chattanooga, we got something cooking, guys. (laughs) <laughs> slightly slightly less of a big deal when uh, you are flying out of the UK and you're bringing pound sterling. But let's not True. poo-poo it. That's still, it's an international transit, and yeah, that is a, a pretty big deal, you know. It, it's not a very casual decision to just sort of drive down for the weekend. No, no. And we're going to get which is really cool. Yeah, I dig those If you guys. guys get there, yeah, if you guys get there... Uh, Super Friends team up, you know what I'm saying? Um, (laughs) But uh, also, dude, if they come from the UK, John Royal, you know I'm pointing at you. You got to do it, brother. Got to do it. I'll just nod like I know what you mean. (laughs) John Royal is one of these uncelebrated kind of cover artists that's working with IDW right now on the Hama title. His books move. We all know they do. He just does amazing line work. And, I mean, I obsess over it. His hair... I would put his hair against McFarland's. Chew on that. Moving right along, uh, Dave Cabal picked up all the Star Wars Spiker uh, comics from Dark Horse. So he's Spiker Illuminati now. That's pretty rare group. I see you, Cabal. Let's see. Other than that, I just saw for the first time a couple weeks ago JD's uh, Cujo iteration figure. Um, I didn't know that thing existed, guys. Uh, JD, that's... (laughs) Yeah, that's a beautiful figure. I love it. Um, <laughs> reach out. Let's connect on that and create something out of it. You just want to get your grubby mitts on it so you can uh, have an O-ring avatar alongside your uh, modern era avatar. Yeah, I see you, Kujo. The color balance on that figure is good. Nice. Um, let's see. <laughs> no offense, JD, but I thought you did it for a laugh. <laughs> but granted, I mean, uh, props props where props are due. That I'm sure did take some work. Well done, sir. I like it. Let's see. I was on the road again this weekend. Uh, went up north about seven hours to catch 
a comic pro uh, known as Tom Beeland from my hometown. Dude lived through the fire that went through that city. The aftermath looks like the town is a different place. Uh, it's going to go bankrupt. Uh, we'll see what happens. But anyway, me and Beeland met at the comic shop, which he works at. And uh, just a little background on him. He's kind of the dude that writes relationships in comics. Not overt, but he did do The Web of Romance, Spider-Man and Mary Jane. He was nominated for an Eisner for his True Life comic, True Story, Swear to God. The dude writes with his heart. I knew that going in. And, and we're, we're doing an interview in, in his comic book store next to the periodical wall. And he goes full tearjerker, like no BS. Yeah, didn't you say his entire, his entire portfolio went up in smoke? Well, that actually is another Santa Rosa uh, comic creator uh. known as Doug Feast, who I'm trying to line up before all this madness is over. No, that was real. Tom, thank you so much. That's all I got for new stuff, except for maybe at the back end, I got something else. But you want to talk cinema, no? Oh, well, before we get into that... <laughs> There's always something else on the agenda. Oh, Paul. Oh, just to segue from the social media... A small reminder again that we have Instagram now. Yay! So we're G.I. Joburg on Instagram. And apparently, when I mentioned this the first time, well, it kind of stuck because we got like 100 followers in the space of two weeks. Not even. And we are feeling the love big time. There's some great uh, guys that have followed us. Uh, in fact, everybody who follows us is awesome. And uh, that comic artist you mentioned earlier, Cooch, I'm trying to think of his, uh, I, his name is uh, John Royal. Uh, he follows us, our our um, Instagram, which is pretty cool. Royal so, gets us. Uh, yeah, so that was like quite cool. It was a nice surprise. I was like, oh, cool, John Roy. Uh, I was like, John Royal. I know that name. I know that name. I looked it up, and there he is. Like I said, all of our followers are really awesome. We love you guys, and yeah, we're going to be very. Or well, I'm going to be very consistent with uh, putting up content, and yeah, it's just another way to get a behind the scenes look at what's happening in GI Joburg. You know, for, you know, those times when you look at the YouTube videos and you go, how did they do that? <laughs> oh, dear. Do I have to shoot a documentary every time I want to shoot a toy? <sighs> no, man. I'm just being yes. ridiculous. I, um, I dusted my shelves recently. It, it happens. And an amusing thought struck me to just substitute all the O-Ring characters for their 25th and 30th anniversary substitutes counterparts in Atlantis Factor. We need to start catering to the modern era fans, man. I've been a purist for far too long. It's tricky, man. You work within the same aesthetic and it's like, oh, can you really mix? Mm, will it not irk people more than, than it'll win them over? Uh, what do you do? Safe option. And besides, I have never shot Destro version 1 in the sunlight before, in anything, be it stills or uh, motion picture. And, man, that head pops. It is beautiful to shoot with. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> Just really eats up every single frame that it's in. Love that chrome. I love some of the ghostly movements in the video. <laughs> um, there are moments when the toy... When Destro just like sort of shifts and it's <laughs> and it's kind of eerie, but it's like so in character. <laughs> Gotta use that take. Yep, yep. Well, I don't know. Toys will be toys, I guess. 
the high point is no one lives forever. If you're talking about uh, Atlantis Factor, <laughs> that was amazing. There will be death. My son, it is your time. Show me my respect and bow down. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. I never freeze. Oh, this is the voice of Steve from the future. Just making the mandatory spoiler warning. We neglected to do it when we recorded this. So I'm just inserting it here to make sure that anybody listening to this podcast who has not watched Black Panther is fully aware that this is not a spoiler-free review. You have been warned. Go away now. The revolution will not be televised. Show me my respect. And bow down. We own ya. We own ya. We only get started now. Cause we own ya. Everybody think they know me now. Cause we own ya. You and not my homie. Anyway. <laughs> Should we talk about the black panther? <laughs> Yeah, okay, it's a cultural phenomenon. It's outpacing uh, Avengers, I believe, at the box office, which is no mean feat for a single character superhero movie. Uh, yeah, a debut film, I suppose. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, the, the, but it's not. Is it ridiculous? It's not ridiculous. It's ironically culturally important. It's not a message movie, and yet it is a big budget popcorn movie in the Marvel stable that features a overwhelmingly predominantly black cast. I think that's... Uh, that's yeah. Unless I'm missing something, that is the cultural significance of it. I dispute the fact that it is giving an accurate portrayal or, or a, a, a necessarily overwhelmingly positive portrayal of Africa because it is a fantasy portrayal of Africa. And is and it was also I don't know, I just get the impression that it's a bit more north. It's like it's more North Africa or Central Africa than it is South Africa. Dude, it's it's Hollywood Africa. <laughs> That's what it yeah. is. I mean, it was shot in Melbourne, I think. <laughs> you know. <laughs> there's, gonna, yeah, there's very little Africa in this like. movie, so we can't celebrate it as an African film. It's absolutely not. It's Marvel Studios fantastical character originally penned by a pair of Jewish gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. That's Steve's uh, sort of intro to it. Has anybody got any like quick first impressions of the film? Well, I, I think that, I mean, the marketing of this film kind of puts it at odds with the content for me. Like the marketing says, you know, this is a culturally significant event. I think it's a well-told story. So, I'm not going to dip too deep on that, and probably just up front, just as a disclaimer, I'm going to say that I pretty much always judged people on three metrics, and they are intelligence, integrity, and heart. I'll just leave it at that because you know I, I'm not going to step into that. I, I don't do I don't do that other stuff. Yeah. Does that make sense? Did I say that? No, it does make sense. Okay. Um, my my impressions on the film just if I have to give something quick. Uh, surprisingly underwhelmed. Uh, I thought 
the way people I knew were going on about it, I thought it would be a little bit. I, I thought it would have been more of a of a ride, and would have stood out from the rest of its ilk. But um, for Marvel films, I feel that it's kind of on par with all the others. I think um, I think the, there's very few Marvel films that stick out for me as like really enjoyable events and. Ragnarok or Thor Ragnarok was one that really stuck with me and I really enjoyed a lot of it mostly because it was what it was but uh Black I just found Black Panther to be quite underwhelming that was my that was my sort of like feeling when I walked out of the cinema I'm not saying the film was bad please don't misunderstand me and I'm uh, I'm not knocking it down I just wasn't that blown away by it well did you go into it thinking that you were gonna like kind of puff up just because the marketing like did you go in going oh great you know I might, I might feel kind of bullied in this movie or something does that make sense yeah no i didn't have that thought at all i walked into that film going uh cool this is gonna be a cool film and i want to check it out before anybody spoils it for me that was like i had my general my usual marvel excitement i was like okay it's gonna be cool to see, oh let's just see what they do you know kind of thing i didn't go in there with any like expectations I went in opening weekend uh, before this kind of momentum had been built up. So, yeah, I was also mm-hmm. seeing it in isolation of the hype and the, the significance, the imposed significance. Well, stateside, they started doing all these, like, memes where people are going to the theater and getting beat up and stuff. It was all lies, but I guess I was making a reference towards that. That's so ridiculous. I hear reports of... Uh, uh, this This was in a, a, an interview... Uh, between Trevor Noah and Lupita Nyong'o, um, that she was incognito in C- Central Park, and a bunch of people were doing like the Black Panther salute. And I'm talking about the cinematic Black Panther salute, and not the political yeah. movement. Um, and they were they were kind of doing the gorilla bark that Mbaku does. Yeah. You know, like. Just like black youth in America have really embraced this this hero, so. I I don't want to dwell too much on this because it speaks beyond uh, my ken or my my comfort zone. I suppose uh, I I don't I don't ever want to make GI Joe big about race, but it is very very positive to see a black superhero that people can rally behind. Mm. You know because there is this sort of cultural movement attached to it. It's not uh, a colonized. Um, enslaved black icon. This is representing origins and roots and the importance of blackness and 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 treating it unadulterated in any way. You know, this is this is the tale of a fantastical nation that was exempt from colonialism because it was light years ahead of what the European powers had at the time. So it's it's a fascinating story, but therein lies the big issue that I have with it, I guess, is that if they had the power to change the world, why did they keep it a secret? You know, the, the Africa that Wakanda situates itself in is still bereft of the same problems that Africa has in our world. You know, there's a sequence in the beginning of this film which... Uh, has got to be a reference to the Boko Haram abduction of those women in Nigeria who 
for years and years and years were at large. No one could find them. You you can you can probably conjure up images of like these these big dudes in camo uniforms uh, with AK-47s standing in and amongst a a group of of African veiled Muslim women, and so that scene has veiled African women in the backs of trucks being driven through a, a dense jungle and Black Panther liberates them. So all of a sudden I'm thinking like, okay, so was Wakanda working in the shadows to correct all the evils happening on the continent? And if that's the case, were they ultimately unsuccessful because the world never really learned of their successes? Mm. It opens it up to a number of questions like, how come Africa is still bereft of all these problems if Wakanda has been working so efficiently and so effectively uh, in the shadows mm. as this kind of Africa continental police force? It's problematic. And that's something uh, that's something I'd like to jump in there with as well because I I think I think it would have been cool had they sort of m- maybe just made a mention of it or just showed how they operated because. You know, for example, the Nazis, you know, came into North Africa and they couldn't get down much further, you know, and they were stopped. And, you know, there were a lot of moments like that. You know, there have been a lot of moments like that in history where it would have been cool if in the film they just sort of like just made mention of the fact that although Wakanda has always kept itself secret, maybe the Black Panther himself has always lent himself in sort of in service to, you know, to, to nations in Africa or to countries in Africa to protect, uh, you know, to protect them from invaders like, for example, the Nazis and things like that, which essentially in the Marvel Universe is Hydra. It would have been cool to, to sort of had, have a little bit of that backstory because then you would, I would have felt as a viewer that, okay, they actually, they, they're working in secret, but they actually are trying to be instrumental in change, but are trying to be very subtle about it. And, and that would have made sense. But I also hang on the similar point to what Stephen mentioned before. It just feels very purposely ostracizes themselves. And the film doesn't really, really give you a good enough reason as to why uh, or a good enough explanation as to why. Yeah, fine. They've got amazing technology and they've got this uh, element, uh, the vibranium, which incidentally in the Marvel, in the Marvel U is what uh, Captain America's shield's made out of. So at some point, Vibranium was snuck out of Wakanda or whatever. Well, it seems like one of the Black Panther's roles is to plug those leaks, hence the importance of tracking down Ulysses' claw. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. like it's like the, the the king of Wakanda, the Black Panther, and its champion and protector is responsible for ensuring the secrecy of Wakanda. Mm. But I'm sure leaks do happen. I mean, it's too too good a, a a material to not uh, have it leak somehow. I mean, greed. It's it's true of any society, no matter how advanced. Well, true. I mean, Ryan Coogler wrote this, right? He director, writer, or who wrote it? Did Ryan Coogler have and other dude are the writers, and then yeah, and then it's Ryan Coogler who. Okay, I mean, I can't uh, speak on Africa, but I definitely know Oakland. <laughs> Ryan Coogler's a native of Oakland. And those sequences were very authentic. Were they? Were they? Well, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, I mean, if you've looked at my avatar, you know I have an Oakland A's hat on, so I'm not just fronting. But Oakland is kind of, if you're up in Northern California, you got Silicon Valley. We all know what that's about. And, of course, I've referenced wine country and the Emerald Triangle, etc. 
But Oakland is kind of the blue collar uh, port. And they're the kind of people that have chips on their shoulder. Um, maybe you like the Oakland A's and you like Moneyball. If you have not read Moneyball and you're a fan of baseball, do it. Um, but no, I mean, Kugler, he seems to have written a personal story Absolutely. about yeah. asking questions why resources haven't been spread everywhere. You know what I mean? Mm. And a lot of people have questioned uh, who's the actual protagonist. That's an interesting question. But it seems to be the same story that uh, The Last Jedi just told. I mean, couldn't mm. have Killmonger been Kylo Ren? To a degree. I, you've you've just you've just gotten my back up again, Cujo, by mentioning like Oakland. No offense to anyone who does live there and is 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 you know it, it's it's hard times all around because it's not you know the most desirable backdrop. But Wakanda situates itself in a continent where you know building a rec center where. Where where kids feel safe? That's a pipe dream. We've got child soldiers. Yeah. We've got an AIDS pandemic. We you know like Wakanda's resources are misallocated. If you know Black Panther's going back to the continental United States of America and and trying to do good there. I mean I'm like, what? This is out of touch with reality, man. Well, I think Ryan put a personal story that bookends the Marvel movie. Because if, if you remember at the end, he goes, you know, uh, I think there's a character that says, uh, what was I thinking a, a kid from Oakland could could live a fairy tale or something like that. And it, it kind of that kind of caught me because that feels like a personal line. And it seems like uh, you're like, well, who is Ryan Coogler? Is he Killmonger or is he uh, I'm sorry, the Black Panther, who, by the way, that actor is killing it as that character. But uh, be Jordan. No, no, I'm not, I'm not into that. But uh, uh, no, I'm talking I'm talking about the uh, Black Panther actor. Uh, T'Challa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm still digging him. Two movies deep. But uh, <laughs> no, I think that Ryan Coogler is Black Panther because he had to make the de- He had to make a deal with the CIA uh, or a you know or Disney, whichever you know the allegory. But he made a deal. That's why the movie got made. You know what I mean? Mm. It's one way of looking at it, I suppose. I mean, I'm just reading into my own, but, I mean, the dude's from Oakland. Something I'd like to mention uh, with the Black Panther, and it's actually something that I, that the film does uh, very well, and I feel, I feel that it does it better than the comic did. And, and I can speak for this from a South African perspective. There are a lot of uh, really amazing comic book characters, uh, and the characters that appeal to children are predominantly white characters now this has been addressed in within the last 15 years a lot of comic book a lot of marvel characters have had uh race swaps which have uh, in my opinion enhanced the characters in certain um in certain respects nick fury is one of them and i think he's better off being black and i think he's better off being portrayed by samuel l jackson i think he's he's great for that because he is a lot more characterized or characteristic than the original was, at least to me. But there have been a lot of weird sort of race swaps in comic books. And, and in some ways, I've always regarded them as sort of feeble attempts by Marvel or and or DC to try and appeal to that demographic instead of 
actually playing to the strengths of characters that are already black African men or Hispanic characters or Asian characters, what have you, right? And, and that's something where, where the Black Panther has his real strength. You've got a character that has always been black. He's always been like the king of Wakanda, and he's always had that sort of mystery unto himself and that sort of power and that, that sort of cultural energy behind him. And what the movie does well in my eyes is that it puts that character up in the forefront, which means that in South Africa, specifically in South Africa, and I'm, and I'm sure this is echoed around the world and, and in America and whatever, but South Africa has never, at least the young children, like young black African children, have never had a, a superhero that they can really take ownership of. And I think it's great that the Black Panther is that. You know, a lot of kids can take ownership of, of that character. And, and instead of, you know, thinking of themselves as, you know, Batman, but still having that disassociation. And in many ways, in, in many ways, I can relate to this in the sense that, and this is a very pale relatability, but I'm South African. I can never imagine myself as a G.I. Joe. Playing with G.I. Joe toys, I'd have to put on an American accent, you know? So even though those characters are the same ethnicity as I am, or in, in certain respects, okay? Well, so, I, you just made me think, like, which is the G.I. Joe character I gravitate towards? I'm talking about, like, soldier soldiers, not ninjas or anything colorful like yeah. that. <laughs> colorful, ha ha. But, uh-huh. Stalker. It's, uh, I share that sentiment as well. I'm also. A lot of white guys do. I mean, it's got to do with uh, the excellent Ooh. characterization Stalker as the sort of the philosopher soldier of the team that he was. Yeah. That's all courtesy of a Japanese American called Larry Harmer. The race uh, ironies are rife, but that said, guys like you, me, Hooded Cobra Commander 788, love Stalker, regardless, and and will play with the action figure, regardless of his skin color. Exactly, and and remember, we were, Stephen and I were children that were raised in pre-Mandela, South Africa, for a small period as well, and nobody had any problems with us playing with those toys either. So... I just wanted to just throw that out there before anybody thinks anything weird. Um, well, look, I mean, yeah. this age has thrown a lens of, of race classification on us. I, I, I'm remembering an interview with Morgan Freeman, and the dude asks him, how do you end racism? And he says, stop talking about it. Like, yeah. that's why that's why I don't do it. Like. You want to talk about race? Fuck you. I got more important shit to do. Like, are you smart? Okay, let's work. That's it. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm hardlining it. Like, it's... I don't do race. I don't do sex. You know what I mean? Mm, no, uh, I, I, There are voices I, I, in this country that would would try and shout you down and say that if we're not having these conversations, we're, we're ignoring well, important issues. Okay. Well, let's let's do two more buzzwords. Representation. Paul just mentioned it. That is vital. I think it's it's important because people need to be inspired, and they not everybody can do it abstractly. They need a visual representation. Like this I, movie I surprised found... us all, man. I I think. I mean, well, dude, a couple of years ago there was a chart of like forthcoming superhero movies, like Justice League was on there, Batman v Superman was on there, uh, Infinity War was on there. These were all like. We expected these. They were surefire hits. They were more team-up movies. What 
had me scratching my head more than anything with things like Gambit, Ant-Man, and Black Panther. It's like, what? Yeah. Isn't he just like the ninja from the Avengers? I mean, that's his function. He's just the sneaky dude in all black. You know, race well, things aside, or origin story aside, that's his function, and that's all he does, and that's all there is to him. But they saw fit, and, and the timing was just right in cinema history to create this enormous box office smash, which has surpassed, I think, all expectations. Let's, I mean, it's, I think it might be fair to say that even the most glowing uh, believers in this franchise, in this brand, have been suitably impressed and surprised at its level of success. So it is a monumental moment in history all to be celebrated and rallied around a, I would call T'Challa like a third-tier Marvel superhero. Yeah, he's definitely, well, he, he's definitely like a C-lister going into B-lister in some occasions. Well, he's overwhelmingly an A++-lister now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is going to be three movies at least. Mm. I went to go watch this film by myself. I generally watch movies by myself these days. But I think I was the only white guy in the cinema. Okay, not that I checked, but I, I, I mean, if I looked at the crowd around me when I could see the crowd, you know, everybody in front of me was black South African. And the sort of demographics that were in, in, in the cinema itself, like you can go to any movie and you'll see the same sort of 16 to 35 year old, you know, sort of demographic going in to watch a movie, right? But in this cinema, there were like, like ladies that were 50 or 60 years old. Okay. Like old black ladies that came to come watch this film, you know, and that is a demographic I very seldom ever see in a cinema, like at all. It's, it's not like, you know, it's just generally, it's not something that you, you equate. And also, um, you know, and, and the, the whole energy in the cinema was, was very cool. I actually found that that in some ways is more enjoyable than the film because, when characters came out and, you know, when, when the Black Panther had to fight, you know, has to always be challenged and fight for his right to be king, you know, and when he wins, you know, the, the whole crowd around me was like, woo! <laughs> you know, thrill. and it was very, very African. Like, it, it's something like, I would actually like say that if you're American or you're, you're uh, visiting South Africa during the time that Black Panther is airing if you get to watch it that in itself would be a really cool cultural experience um not to obviously trivialize it but it was great and it was so cool and and like the guys behind me were like yeah you know you know and it was it was cool like there was that like energy you know which you don't always i mean they clapped this my audience clapped when the movie was done they were like woo! wonderful it was awesome (laughs) well that shuts me the hell up that silences my criticisms that this is a a Hollywood appropriation of Africa because if Africa itself applauds loudly for this stuff then it's resonating with with an audience that that I that I understand will have some 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 measure of appreciation that they are appreciating it I don't think you're alone in that thought I definitely when I got home because I was feeling different ways about the film and when I got home I just ran down you know a lot of critic critical reviews and one one caught me. I, I don't recall the name, but what people are brave enough to be critical about this film? Well, we are. 
Yeah, we ain't scared for nothing. <laughs> but that's right. But we're a, we're a teensy little uh, toy podcast <laughs> operating out of Johannesburg and Cape Town. We're evergreen, my dog. <laughs> no, but uh, he said that, like, this is a simulated victory for our culture. And that, that word simulated caught me, and I was like, huh? But he is kind of right. Like, yeah, we're all fired up right now. And uh, look, it was as much an inspiration to me as anybody else. Just because I agree with Paul. You went in and you were like, this is a different vibe. I loved it. When you say our culture, you mean black culture, black representation. Did I did I say our? Was the reviewer black? I didn't catch that. No, he didn't personalize it. I think he said, like, for it could have been for black culture. Okay. But I think that's that's kind of... That's kind of where we sit in history is, can we sustain a movement uh, without it feeling like our voices are taken, like a movement starts and then celebrities take over and they get in a cycle of barking at each other. Like, can we actually change our world? So I do like Black Panther because obviously I like Ryan Coogler uh, representing NoCal, but uh, it's just, it's one of those things like it's a, it's a signpost that says, you know, you can be inspired. And I think it's great. I think I need to see it again at a busier screening. I picked a early morning screening because of work commitments and also to beat the crowds and kind of have the cinema to myself. But I do feel like maybe I'm cheating myself out of the real experience of like rubbing shoulders with other people who are really, really into it and not just going there judging it as a superhero movie, a Hollywood movie. People who are really just like earnestly watching a film, being immersed in it. Here's another lens on on the kind of conversation we're having. I mean, I've been a coach, I've been a uh, an athlete at many levels of competition. Like there is, you come into a situation and you're like, oh, I don't know these people, regardless of race, color, whatever. But oftentimes, if you're white and you're playing good athletics, you're a minority and they know it. So, like. It's just about finding a common goal. And yes, people are coming from different angles, but in Wakanda, they figured it out, didn't they? Oh, yeah. So, do we rate it? <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get there, there is one small, for me at least, there's one small elephant in the room for, for the Black Panther film. And Don't you mean a rhinoceros in the room? <laughs> uh, a rhinoceros, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Super advanced civilization, but they keep wild animals in enclosures. Yeah, but also there was a sort of like a sensitivity there that that was shown off there as well, like a connection to Earth kind of thing. But let let, let me not stray into let that territory right now. Let the fucking rhino roam free, man. Don't put a vibranium armor on it. I mean, like, come on. That was, that was an like, establishing scene for the friendship, not for the rhinos. Dude, <laughs> yeah. when they made their appearance in sort of the the eleventh hour rescue. I actually burst out laughing in the cinema. I was like, oh, God, really? Bring in the cavalry, the fucking rhinoceroses. I mean, this is a this is a nation of warriors who have close air support, <laughs> but uh, the, the trump card is a stampede of rhinoceroses. Granted, pretty devastating if you're facing one down, but I'm like, course, yeah. how can you regard this as your, 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 your fighting force? Like, these things may be are being used for uh, like cultural affectations but to use them in warfare they, they, they what they train their rhinoceros rhinoceroses to charge and and fight and kill people 
well, I, was, I, I lost my mind. I was like, what the hell? Man? <laughs> this is a fever dream. They also have base base cones as repulse lifters, so they got style, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, wow. But the thing I actually wanted to get at, and, and this is a critique for the film and for its storytelling, T'Challa, for me, as a main character, I felt was fairly weak. Okay. I actually felt that Killmonger was a more interesting character. And yeah, yeah, bad guys can be more interesting and, and in a lot of ways should be because it gives our, our hero, our protagonist something to overcome. But I, I actually felt that, uh, throughout whole, watching the whole film, it's like, wow, Wakanda is amazing. Wow, the family dynamic is amazing. Wow, the bond is cool. The technology is cool. You know, like all bond. of that stuff. Like, Hey? Did you say Bond is cool? No, no. No, no. I just said, wow, the technology is cool. Wow, the bond between the family is cool. And between well, funny the you should people. mention technology and Bond in the same sentence. Because, like, that scene that cribs, like, the Q scene from, you know, any Bond film. Bond movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, uh, right? I, I could have done without that. I, I agree. I, and I fully agree with you on that. But... I just felt like, okay, so T'Challa didn't feel, it, it's odd. It's like there were moments when him being downplayed the way he was, was great because it made him defending his kingdom both times uh, quite thrilling because you, you, well, when I watched it the first time, I thought, ah, oh, he might actually get beaten. And then, you know, a lot of the film would be him actually finding his own strength. And um, sort of, you know, coming to his uh, to himself and actually being king because, you know, he he merely adopts the Black Panther mantle, you know, in in the Avengers film, and you know he's you know he he adopts it. It's not like he he's earned it yet. So that segment in the film is supposed to show that he's er uh, earned it, but it was very tricky because on one hand you got a very good set piece of this battle happening and how it explains the culture of Wakanda and that there's still a very strong warrior culture and that there's like a very strong respect and it's got the, the sort of tribal sort of social situation going on, which is, it's awesome. But I just feel that it's sort of maybe it had Killmonger arrived sooner or something. And then it was T'Challa's journey to try and get Wakanda back. I find that would have been, I don't know. I just feel that would have been a much better story for our hero because that is the biggest issue I have. You know, it feels like Killmonger has gone through all of the trials. Like he's gone through all of the trial by fire. I mean, he's, he's been a bad, or he, he gets abandoned by his own people. His father dies. He has to, firstly, he has to survive on the mean streets of Oakland. Okay. Then he, he gets, you know, he, he goes in, in and enlists himself and, before that, we can assume that he was probably involved with gangs and things like that, which in and of itself is a type of a horror, you know, social, uh, sociologically, at least for this, for him. Then he goes and joins the military. And then on top of that, he joins a black ops uh, portion of the military and does all of this bad shit. You know, he's a character who has faced these demons and allowed himself to become a tyrant, to become a bad guy. And he's got a motivation. He's like, screw this. We should be ruling the world. You know, Wakanda is powerful. We should be ruling the world. And that's his motivation. And Black Panther's all like, well, you know, <laughs> you know, like, I just kind of felt like the stronger ideology failed 
And and I'm not saying that Killmonger is right. Don't misunderstand me when I say that. It's just I just feel like there should have been an ideology that competed with Killmonger's that was on the same level as his, um, and that the all good of what Wakanda is doing or what the all good of what Wakanda could do should have been the driving force behind Black Panther's power. And and that I just felt that to be so disappointing. Because everybody else in that movie is really amazing. I love his bodyguard. I can never remember her name. That bold lady, she is so badass. I dig her, and I dig her staff skills and whatever. She was cool. Okoye. Yeah, Okoye. Yeah, there we go. So, Bam. And T'Challa's sister, also fantastic character, very interesting. Um, it's going to be great to see how she goes, uh, squares up against or squares off against guys like Tony Stark and Bruce Banner in future you know, Marvel films. The whole time I was thinking she's the cross between the current Money Penny from the the Daniel Craig Bond films and yeah. the classic presentation of Q. Yes. You know, she's that that archetype. And and it was cool to have her fighting and everything. Like like I just felt everybody around him was so was so filled with purpose or was the supporting characters and the, the antagonist had the most sort of purpose in their roles. It, and it's just weird. Like, I just felt T'Challa to be a little bit weak character-wise. And I'm not saying that the Black Panther is a weak character. In fact, the Black Panther I know comes from the pages of the X-Men comics when he's already Storm's, or when Storm is the queen of Wakanda. And mm. where the Avengers do come to him for aid, and he kind of goes, no. <laughs> you know, he's like, no, <laughs> stay away. You know, he is strong. He he is very, like, centered and, and everything. So I understand this movie is introducing us to the character, but I just haven't seen the character grow yet for me. that that That's my critique of the film, not of the film's presentation or of the film's message. Well, I kind of like that there's a spectrum between the Incredible Hulk and the Black Panther. There's a person that wants to smash everything, and there's a person that goes, nope, that's not the right move, you know? You can't yeah. ever have everybody vote to go to war, you know? Oh, agreed. Agreed. But then the thing is, I, with T'Challa himself, there is no real sense of pacifism with him. Well, not pacifism, but like, you know, he, he doesn't seem to be, you know, meek as in you have the strength, but you choose not to fight. You know, that kind of thing. He doesn't, it doesn't seem to have that, it doesn't seem to have that humility to him. But then he does show it in elements, and, and that it's like these little redeeming qualities to him. It's just he just feels incomplete because one of those moments when he has to choose his uh, the next suit, the upgrade, he chooses the the more subdued of the suits. And Killmonger, as we know later on in the film, picks up the one with the gold finishing, and you know is a little bit more dare I say flamboyant because you know Killmonger is ego. He's driven by a need. And, 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 and his need is kind of sort of self-centered and, and tyrannical. And Black Panthers is kind of like, well, I must just maintain the status quo, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. You know? True, true, true. Paul, we've got to kill that damn cricket one of these days. Just saying. <laughs> Dude, I'd like to kill all of the crickets. Like, not all of them, but most of them. They they seem to only do this when we're podcasting. Paul goes to war with Africa. <laughs> um, and then this is a question I can direct at Steve or at you guys uh, because I know that you'd be able to give different views. The accents and the way people, the way the characters speak in the film. 
Now, I'm pulling this out because when you hear a South African accent in a movie, and I'll give a very, very good example of when it stands out, is Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Arnold Fosloo. And Arnold Fosloo has, to me, it's a very famous line, and it goes, Randall, Randall, Randall. Now, there is that twinge to the South African accent. There is. Uh, and obviously, South Africans don't pick up on it. And But I know, for example, the British guys, the Brits, they get very upset with American, you know, when Americans speak British or use speak English in a British uh, accent. So do your ears, Stephen, did you find anything a little bit offensive about the way the accents were pulled off? Did you feel that maybe they were a bit stop-start? Or? I was teetering on the brink of not mentioning this because, I, you know, it's it's a hopelessly detailed nitpick that will only really be held by someone perhaps in my profession and operating in my geographical location. True. But the dialects pulled me out of it all the time. Okay. It really hurts my enjoyment of the film because dialect is so important to me. You have not nailed your character if you have not been able to produce a consistent sound mm. and I knew this going in because I knew what Chadwick Boseman had brought in Civil War and I knew he'd be bringing more of the same and I can see he's working damn hard I've listened to his natural dialect in interviews I've listened to him in Civil War and Black Panther and I know he's working so hard at nailing the sounds the key sounds to give him that Africanness, and it doesn't even have to be geographically specific because Wakanda is a fantasy nation, but he's exactly, not yeah. being internally consistent with himself. Okay. And there, there comes a time, and I've seen it happen on set, where dialect coaches inevitably become yes men, because there's only so much hard work you can put your star through before it starts becoming counterproductive and negative. You don't want mm. to grind someone down to the point where they're afraid or ashamed of the lines that they have to deliver. They have to mm. be able to deliver them confidently and know that they are nailing it. So you can only work up to a certain point with anyone. Mm. There have been more successful appropriations of African dialects in the past. I mean, I point to a guy like Idris Elba. Mm. I point to a guy like Morgan Freeman. But maybe it's because... They were imitating a historical figure whose speeches are famous, and there is no end to audio material that you can pull. You know, if you are impersonating Nelson Mandela, he's got a signature way of speaking, and you can kind of fall into that if you work hard enough at it. With Chadwick, mm. you know, his portrayal of a fictional character, as I said, just wasn't internally consistent. And similarly, like Forrest Whitaker, you know, he. He attempted something, and it was like the last King of Scotland. It just wasn't. It just wasn't good. It's, it's never good. Mm. <laughs> I wish they wouldn't attempt it, because it snaps me out of it. I wish they'd speak with more of a general kind of almost, almost slightly British uh, RP regal speak like Angela Bassett is my favorite example because it wasn't an authentic African sound but it wasn't she didn't make dialectal errors 
she spoke in a regal yeah, she owned it. a regal tone that steps outside of regional dialect so she she she's a good example uh, obviously all of the uh, the the originally african uh, you know from from continental africa uh, actors were nailing it and unfortunately they just served to to push gentlemen like Mr. Bozeman further away in terms of authenticity. I mean, my favorite favorite example was the guy who played Mbaku, the, sort yeah. of the, the king of the gorilla clan from the mountains. Yeah. That guy, I wouldn't be surprised if he's from Nigeria. He's he's good. He's got great presence. Exactly I don't think he's vegetarian. This is part of me that's like, I really wish there were more South African actors in that film. Always. No, not just South Africa. Any, any, any authentic Africa. African actor. Hell, I wish there was an African director who was up to writing and and directing this piece. I wished it had more authentic African stamp on it. Yeah, uh, and I, I, that's how I feel too. But then, but it is what it is. We can't fight that. It is what it is exactly. But I find the Wakandan. I, in my mind, I just call it the Wakandan accent. That's like how I put it down for myself. You know, because I mean. In South Africa, and it's, it's a strange thing, you know, we have 11 official languages, and depending on where you live in South Africa, you will only really, you, you might actually encounter all 11, depending on how you move around the city or around your province or whatever, but you generally only encounter like three or four, and you would think that by being a South African, and, and maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but I am sort of linguistically inclined to, to a degree. I mean, I say that in the most modest way possible because I'm not saying I'm some kind of linguist or anything. But I can sometimes hear the difference between Zulu and, say, Corsa. I can I can sometimes hear it. But because of the, the sort of fusion in South Africa, a lot of guys speak Zulu into Corsa, back into Zulu, then into Sutu. You know, and it's known as like Fanegolo, you know, like a colloquial version of those languages because it's such a melting pot. Of, of cultures and things and everybody's trying to sort of communicate with each other and then there's a lot of English interspersed in in those languages as well so it's something that you only really hear it a lot with like something like the Wakandan accent you only pick up a lot if you're used to hearing a lot of African men primarily speak English because that's how you can create that shift but when they did speak Kosa and all that it was it was like really well done. I thought. I thought the Corsa came across uh, quite spot on. Yeah, because John Carney was speaking Izzy Corsa, and Chadwick Boseman was answering him in English. I mean, obviously, that's that's yeah. that's what you do. You use what you got. You use uh, exactly. your your ace card. Uh, incidentally, the the actor who plays Mbaku is from Tobago, which is off the coast oh, of Venezuela. Right. I mean, that's that's interesting. So he has, he's got. More estranged uh, African roots than 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 I had thought. I I had figured maybe he was plucked from Nigeria and uh, and had uh, gone to study uh, drama and acting in, in the United States. Well, he's he's an Islander. Crazy, Cujo. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, accents wise and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not trying to be nitpicky here. Obviously, I just no. I'm just trying to understand how how our how things from South Africa are sort of perceived by international ears, you know, in terms of... And I'll probably I'll probably sleep on this question just because I, I can't really bring anything to it. But I, I definitely understand, like, uh, I think it's relevant that you guys brought that up. 
Yeah, I, I think Forrest Whitaker should have actually had an American accent the whole way through because he reconned in the States anyway, so he could have picked it up and just it stuck with him. But then I think they're trying to show he's got a strong cultural root and that his uh, American adaption of the accent couldn't be couldn't overpower his Wakandan accent or whatever. That's a cool thing in itself. There was one more thing about this film that I wanted to, to put out there. Your high point, I think. My high point... It's difficult for me to isolate one specific point in the film as my high point, but something I've really taken away from this film and that will always stick with me is the visual design. The I loved it. It was very cool to see a lot of traditionally African, like stuff that we know here, like Zulu stuff and whatever, just sort of done up the way it was done in that Wakandan style. It was very cool to see that. Basutu blankets. Yeah, and I would not be surprised if we start seeing that coming into uh, onto the streets again, like as a as a more so uh, like a more modern take on that. I definitely think Black Panther did something cool with regards to that. They created this like neo modern African look, and that I think a lot of South African people are going to adopt, uh, and I think that's very very cool. Uh, bro, you need to run in the right circles. They totally are. I mean, friends in my industry, they wear uh, animal skins all the time, headdresses, African jewelry. No, no, I, I hear you, but there's there's like a certain... I don't explain it to you. Uh, it's like a... The best way to explain it is it's kind of like it's leveled up. Like, what they did... Because obviously it's from film and they're trying to show... And it's also, you know, it's a royal family that you're mostly seeing. So it's like super zoosh. You know, it's like super, like, up there. Oh, the term that gets thrown around, just to put you out of your misery, is, uh, I think it's Afrofuturism? Yes, there we yeah. go. Thank you. Yeah, and I dig that. I'm a big fan of that. And I know that conceptually, when I have been doing conceptual stuff for certain projects, um, and even on a children's book uh, that I've been working on, I've definitely been trying to do that and introduced that so seeing it sort of pulled off on Black Panther was quite yeah it was it was great it came full circle for me so yeah visually I think the film is absolutely stunning and with the exception of well that that's my takeaway that's like the biggest thing for me that I really love so I just love the visual style and I really enjoyed the characters nice Curtis have you got a high point you'd like to leave us with I'd agree with that I, I think I loved the visual design. I liked the uh, as far as action sequences go. That where they're falling through the cave was pretty dope. Mm. Uh, I thought it was understated, but I was you know when I went in, I was kind of affected by the marketing and a lot of the social media buzz. It was just a well-told story about. I mean, again, just like Last Jedi, you can say, "Oh, I've been that character," maybe for a few minutes, but you can definitely relate. Uh, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. What about you, Stephen? Yeah, I've poured scorn on this movie because I guess it it didn't hit, but it does demand a second viewing. And let me isolate three important positives that I pulled from it. Firstly, it's put Black Panther on the map in a more prominent way than than one could have ever anticipated. As I said before, like financially it's i'm sure has surprised even its most ardent supporters 
but the importance of the character is now firmly entrenched and it can only mean positive things for uh, just a, just putting the spotlight on Africa again in a very roundabout and, and twisted way Hollywood has been able to remind people that there's a gigantic continent out there and if it needs the vehicle of a superhero movie to throw a spotlight onto this continent I'll take it yeah. gladly yeah if it if it gets Africa into the news and and the importance of of this continent in the world on the world stage, uh, if it helps that in any way, shape, or form, I'm 100% on board. Also, on a very superficial level, the suit is cool. The design of this character is cool. Uh, <laughs> I think we needed we needed something like that, a subtle, slinky, all black character not repping any kind of technology that we are familiar with. Someone put it very, very interestingly that uh, if Tony Stark is, is, is tooling around with, with hot rods, Black Panther's got a car by Tesla. You know, he, <laughs> he's just like, all of his technology is so miniaturized and so incredibly subtle. You know, it can do fantastical things, but it is so unrecognizable as technology almost because it is so far advanced that's a thrill the abilities of the suit is a thrill i'm like i never gave black panther nearly that much credit uh, a friend of mine who i spoke to this afternoon over a glass of whiskey he was like black panther's like overpowered man you know thanos is gonna gonna wind up and, and try and deliver a knockout punch and like that suit's just gonna absorb it <laughs> he's gonna like whop thanos back on his ass I quickly corrected him and said, well, you know, Thanos can just use the time gem and and go back in time to where T'Challa wasn't wearing the, the costume and then kill him, you know, yeah. uh, just flexing my, my, my comic nerdiness. Comic knowledge. <laughs> but, um, uh, so the suit is sexy and cool and beautiful and I, I can't wait to see it in and amongst the mix that is the Avengers. And it makes me super stoked that I have a very cool Black Panther 3 and 3 quarter inch or 4-inch uh, action figure to put with my, my action figure display. I'm like, yeah, that was a very good purchase, Stephen. This character's going to be a mainstay, and hopefully the costume won't change in every single movie. So uh, your action figure is good. It's not like you have to have 50 Iron Mans. It's not the same case. It's like... Yep, that one action figure will will serve me well for the rest of this character's tenure. Cinematically, two moments that really resonated for me. When he flies through the cloaking shield of Wakanda for the first time and says, this moment always gets me. There's something to that effect. Maybe I'm paraphrasing. Maybe I got it right. I need to see the movie again. But I got gooseflesh when you plunge through this shield and bam, you're greeted with a vision of a an Africa untouched by colonialism and yet standing on its own two feet in terms of technology, philosophy. You know, it's like one of the great civilizations of the world and it was able to flourish and never never died out. It never collapsed. It's the Holy Roman Empire or the ancient Greeks, but thanks to vibranium and thanks to technological advancements, they were able to stave off invaders, stave off colonialism they survived and that's what it's going to look like yeah so Af- afrofuturism landed in a big way in that establishing shot 
And mm. then the final high point that I drew from this film was a very, very grippingly portrayed and very well-written exchange between two of the women characters in this piece, just highlighting the strength and the importance of the female characters in this piece, where uh, Nakia, Black Panther's ex, played by Lupita Nyong'o, and the royal god, the head of the royal god, Okoye, played by Denai Guerrero, the exchange between them about loyalty is gripping and mm. moving. Nakia's accusing Okoye, like, how can you side with this killmonger dude? He's he's patently evil in his approach. And Okoye just says, I am loyal to the crown, to the throne. I'm not loyal to the man. My loyalty runs deeper. It's to this nation and the way it works and the system and that that's where the buck stops that's where my loyalty lies as I say fantastic performances well scripted need to see it again mm. Mm. Could, uh, Kujo mm. anything no I, I think that was well said I like it thanks yeah, guys I lost anything. this is episode 111 of G.I. Joe Berg <laughs> where we spoke about everything but G.I. Joe uh, <laughs> no, uh, in, in closing in closing, uh, one thing to take away uh, from it as well is, and and I have seen this memed around, but it is relevant. It is cool that we have a film that is uh, predominantly black and predominantly African, and it didn't have to tell, it didn't have to tell a heart wrenching story to be effective. It didn't have to tell a story from the streets to be effective, and it didn't have to. Uh, make fun of itself it, it, in that in the same way that we've seen a lot of you know movies about you know with black culture and things like that you know there's always these like uh, stereotypes and things like that that are thrown in it was cool to see that an African film could be successful without that now I'm not trivializing the fact that there's a lot of darkness in our history uh, no pun intended and every, uh, every party yeah Every nation has bad parts in the history. We, we all have dark ages um, in our developments, but I know that traditionally a lot of films featuring, you know, black characters do tell very, very like strong, gripping stories that that sort of get down to the, to the drama and to the despair of what it's like to, you know, to have lived under certain hardships and things like that. And this guy here talking, I've listened. I've watched these films and I and I understand that and that's why you know it's cool to see a film like The Stand on its own two legs. Stephen said that uh, earlier as well, um, and and it can be extremely entertaining without trying to push some kind of ideology. And and really, like the ideology or the the message I got from the film was like we should all actually be working together and helping each other out. And Wakanda had to figure that out for itself as well. So that was a great message in the story. But yeah, that would be my, my final takeaway. Here, here. Then in closing, a little bit of lightheartedness. Uh, <laughs> so there are two white guys in the principal cast of Black Panther, <laughs> both of whom were in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. They are Andy Serkis and Martin Freeman. And there was a meme somewhere that uh, took the image of them both in that interrogation room and said, 
hey, look, it's the Tolkien white guys. <laughs> it's good. It's great. It's gorgeous. This has been G.I. Joburg episode one, 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 triple one. Awesome. Uh, my name is Steve. And I'm Paul. And Cujo. You can find me on the West Coast. Saying, if you haven't seen this movie, boy, did we spoil it. <laughs> Killmonger dies. <laughs> But if you haven't, uh, well, I hope you haven't listened to this, I guess. <laughs> if you have, maybe check it out again. I know, I think I might, if I, if, if time permits. Check us out on G.I. Joburg uh, YouTube channel. Uh, check out our GoFundMe if you feel a couple of loose dollars that are itching to find their way. Our very travel helpful budget. cause. <laughs> yeah, travel <laughs> budget. Well, let me, let me give a quick update on, on the uh, GoFundMe, if I can. Joe fund me, rather. You do get cup noodle rights in the States, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. We can bump you down to, to Raymond Noodles if we have to. Um, Sweet. Okay, cool. Uh, no, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm just now getting to formatting the shirts. But, uh, yeah, expect those. I think we'll catch fire down the stretch when we got a couple months left. But, yeah, that's that's all my focus now. So if, if you happen to be in the mix, we'll be, we'll be chatting you guys up shortly. And, by the way, the content that's going to come out of this trip – uh, yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be wild. <laughs> wild boys. <laughs> Perfect outro. All right, gentlemen. Goodbye.